0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Today's show is sponsored by Audible. Get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership by going to audible.com slash badchristian.
1: Today's show is also sponsored by Texture. Get your favorite magazines right on your phone. Enjoy a free trial on us by visiting texture.com slash badchristian.
2: You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. Three, two, one, Joey Fan Son.
1: When you're in the world, but not of the world, Bad Christian Podcast. Bad a, Christian Podcast.
0: In it, not of it.
2: Hey, check this out. Check I'm not this of out. this world. Listen to the new Christianese that I got from someone, and he did not even bat an eye, and I wish to God. And I just for
1: clarification, is there a chance he's listening right now? And eventually, you'll have to feel really bad about what you're about to say.
2: <laughs> I don't mind.
1: That I happens mind on this three one. to four I times don't. an episode.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so someone, so someone invites Priscilla and I to, uh, you know, like a little event, a church. Oh, gathering your bride, with, you and your bride. Yeah, my bride and I. You know, a bunch of pastors and their brides. And he tells me straight up, he said, "And if your wife can't make it, just bring." A Timothy. And so, what? Basically, I don't know it. You don't get it? Paul nope. and Timothy. Timothy's yep. the young guy that's learning. Okay. So, basically, bring somebody oh. that you're discipling. And he wasn't joking. He didn't bat an eye. And I wish I would have been like, oh, well, if my wife can't come, I just won't be able to bring anybody because I, I don't really know any Timothy's. But isn't that crazy? Just the language that Christians have. And he just assumed that I knew exactly what he was talking about, and I did. I
3: knew yeah.
1: exactly what he and was talking about. Because you are a pastor. You did.
2: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you are that. My
1: favorite I mean, one you, is— You're uh, 50% that at least, Joey. My favorite right? one is we stayed with
0: somebody, <laughs> a Christian family, at some point, And I think it was in Arizona or something. This is probably 15 years ago after a show. We stay, you know, went and stayed. They make breakfast, so you know, whatever. And then when they left, um, when we left, they— they told us because we were going back out into back on the road, back out on tour, and the lady looks at us, she says, "There's two things they said, but she says, give them heaven,' <laughs> like giving oh, heaven." Oh Lord! <laughs> and, then, and then and then they said uh, when we left, and I haven't never seen them again since, so we'll still see if this works out. But they said, uh, and I don't know if you've heard this one before. They said, and yeah, there's a gesture that goes along with it, so I'll have to explain it visually here. They. They pointed at us and said, "If we don't see you," and then they pointed up to the sky and said, "We'll and I'll see, see ya. you." <laughs> I used to do that as a joke. If I don't see you, I'll see you. Hey,
2: I, mean, I don't like know the- why. I don't know. I don't know why that made me remember a really old story. And I know you guys get frustrated with the old stories, but if they're entertaining it, or good, one. I'm all good with it. So yeah. this was when Toby and I were in a band, Joe 747, and like you guys it. were in a band, Simply Wayne's, and we yeah. went to this uh, club that apparently, no, it was, it was a church, but apparently it was a big youth event, and they got these two Christian bands to come, and, and hey, we were playing along with that as well. We were Christians, and, and we were using it for what it was worth, obviously, going into a church, and uh, we're playing the songs. <clears throat> Toby writes a song called Psycho. Yeah, uh, it is it is about how his mom let him down, and he's very vulnerable. He's saying I see her in this song as a psycho. So when we're finished our set, <laughs> thanks for clearing up that. Yeah, there's a bunch of 50 and 60 year old women who are wide eyed, petrified, like talking amongst themselves, and then they yeah. finally get the nerve to come up to us and they're just like, What are these lyrics? These lyrics are not of God. These lyrics are of Satan. And she pointed to that song Psycho. She said, Do you know what this is? Do you know what a psycho is? This is this is very new age. And someone said, I think you're thinking psychic. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, You mean psychic? Like a fortune teller? Kind she says, Yeah. Yeah.
0: I said, that that's yeah. that's not the psycho is a different word, it's not the same, yeah. Thing, psycho
1: yeah. is way less, lady. Uh, psycho is just like somebody that murders people and kills them a bunch, right? Not, right. not, not that foo foo tarot reading card thing,
0: yeah. But it's like, it's like, uh, it's like you in her mind, you can't it, even if it was right in her mind, you can't have a song titled Psychic, right? But you can't, <laughs> like, that would it's just not, there's no explanation for how a song could even be titled. Psychic,
1: <laughs> and the <laughs> right. and, which it wasn't nowhere, yeah. titled. But. Yeah, and nowhere in the song is the word "psycho" or "psychic" or anything used. Like it, it's yeah. just a title of a song. But I'm sure like, we had screamed
0: at some other point, which was the the real trigger. Is basically, oh, if true. you'll recall Toby. that that would have been what set them off in the first place. But y'all know Toby. He, he,
1: but good, thank the Lord, he's the God of second chances. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Am I right? <laughs> okay, folks, pardon this interruption, but I'm going to tell you about something that excites me, and that is. This sponsor, which is something I've already been using for a long time and paying for myself, that's how much I like it. And that's Audible. And you know what Audible does. It's audio books. I'll tell you a couple of books I have I have right now that I'm doing. I just got through Jordan Peterson's new book called The 12 Rules for Life. You probably know who he is and what he's up to. I quite enjoyed that book. And I also have a book from Eliezer Yudkowsky called Rationality from AI to Zombies, and that's about... Artificial intelligence and things like that. Now, audiobooks are the best way for me to learn stuff. Um, obviously, you're probably predisposed to listen to podcasts and spoken word content, so that's great. And I find audiobooks to be a great balance to that because, you know, you've got these authors that have spent all this time really working out their content and polishing it which is different than podcasts, and it's very valuable, especially because you can focus in on just what you want to learn. And uh, a lot of times, the authors read their own books. It's, it's tremendous. I think it's the best way to retain information. It is for me, at least. I mean, you could get a book about, I don't know, how about physical you? you make, you're make you a badass at making money. That's a book. How about healthy you? That's uh, the sleep revolution. Figure out that. Uh, how about successful you? The four-hour work week is a good one for that. And how about the inspired you? Braving the Wilderness. That's uh, you know, about self-discipline and stuff like that. I couldn't recommend this service, you know, any more than, than I do. The membership includes a free audiobook a month, uh, exclusive sales and 30% off all regularly priced audiobooks. The content is has an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine, newspaper publishers, and business information providers. It's very easy to use. It's very good. You can share books with people. There's a share book with anyone in your library, and if it's their first time accepting a book through the feature, they can listen for free. It really is good. So Now, let me tell you more about it. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com badchristian and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a free title and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash bad Christian, or you can just text bad Christian to 500 500 to get started today. Let me repeat this for you. Go to audible.com slash bad Christian, that's A U D I B L E.com slash bad Christian, or text bad Christian to 500 500, that's 500 500,
2: and get started today. Toby, if, if you have a top 10 favorite tours, where does that – uh, it was in 2000 Summer. Where so does said, that fall? Go where ahead. Where does that fall in there when we toured, I guess, Florida, Georgia, um, maybe a couple places in South Carolina, and you pretty much planned the whole thing, uh, set yeah. all the dates. There were some shows where we literally played for My Brother, and that was it. And then I would say probably the most people we had was in, I remember it was like a little library, and there's probably like 50 or it was 60 There's an LGBTQ
1: there. library, actually. Was it really? In Gainesville. Yeah. In Gainesville. I don't know if it's yeah. still there, but and here's the thing. We played with I, a band called Ivy Labs. People say I'm tough and I'm hard-headed and all this stuff, but my determination, I knew that if we didn't try and at least tour Early or something that we never would, and so I said we're going to do it, and we just tried to do it, and we it was DIY all the way, BYOFL, book your own fucking life, dot com or dot org or <laughs> whatever it was. Um, I went there and and just got all these places. Now, what's really funny is once again, some of those places still exist. We just played Churchill's, where uh, that was the first place we played in Miami, Little Haiti. Uh, that's where we played. We eighteen years uh, ago. It, 18 years ago Emory just played there. We yeah. just we just played there to a same packed now.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Full it was packed to, out. Yeah. So yeah. full.
1: Same stage everything where 18 years ago your brother and his wife <laughs> stood <laughs> there and we got paid in three or four cans of food. Yep. We didn't get paid in cash and then <laughs> I'm back 18 years later. A 41-year-old man playing to a sold-out show. Everybody's <laughs> singing every word almost.
2: Yeah. Hey, Isn't that crazy? Get, uh, some, yeah, some of you old schoolers, y'all y'all love this. One time, Joe747 played at, uh, and you may, Toby, remember where this was, but I cannot remember. It was not at For What It's Worth. But basically, we, we were friends with Ryan from Hope's Fall, which was a pretty big hardcore band back in yeah. the day. A lot of you know exactly who that is. We were friends with his girlfriend. Well, his girlfriend brings him to the show. Now, at the time, this guy walked on water. We're just like, oh, my gosh, the guy from Hope's Fall. We're just a little weenie band called Joe747. And I think that was even kind of intimidating, the fact that he was standing there. And I remember Toby got so carried away at one point in the concert, he kicked like a water bottle into the crowd and then afterwards, Toe was like, "God, oh shit! Why did I do that? That Ryan, he must think I'm just an idiot." <laughs> did you just, I mean, you you went Chris Farley. You're like, "Damn it! Why did I do that shit? Oh God!"
1: <laughs> well, it meant something. Nobody, nobody of any renown ever came to a Joe 747 right. show. Right. I mean, nobody right. even. Knew it, I mean, no matter what we did, but that, nobody at all you know ever what, came. To answer your question, though, there is something about that. Like I made something happen. You know what I mean? Like, like there was nothing. There was no tour. Nobody wanted to go on tour, really, or anything. And I just kept calling, kept trying. uh, And eventually, we got—I don't know—five shows. I don't remember what it was. We drove. We lost shitloads of money and spent all of our money. And mainly, it was just like a little summer fun getaway. But that is a building block. I mean, we've talked. Got to start somewhere. Yeah, we've talked about on. There is no bad learning that wasn't trash like yeah. a lot of people might go oh man we lost money no man i learned that you can do stuff at the very yeah. least i learned you can make something you can, happen you can make stuff happen. you can exactly. do something like if you're in a situation in rock hill south carolina and nobody cares a shit about your music go on tour and lose a buttload of money you know what else whatever. i did I mean, it made what? other
0: people want to quit yeah,
1: you're exactly right. It's so good. good. Weeded them out,
0: and here and we back at you know what I'm saying. Like that's just true. Yeah. Like the other people we're playing music with, they ain't still here. And that's their choice. They didn't like it.
3: Yeah, that's fine. Exactly that's right. not a bad
0: choice. But that was their choice. And right, you know. That, so, you, so you do turn up the heat.
1: Do something. Make it happen. But but on, Matt, list, remember, on a list of tours, Joey, to answer your question, like on on a, where does that rank as far as how fun or cool a tour was? Honestly, probably pretty high just nostalgia alone. But the, the idea that but nothing really mattered, it, nothing bad was gonna. You know what I mean? Right. Like like one of the one of the shows we might have said this before. One of the shows we get there, I think it was in Orlando. We get to Orlando and the sign, the big sign in front of it's burnt down. It's all like crusty looking. Where we go in, the guy goes, "Yeah, uh, y'all were coming to bless uh, our sign burned down and stuff's bad. We're not even. I can't do it." And and I think. I know I did. Maybe Matt with me. Mm-hmm. We argued and got him to pay us like thirty-five dollars to not play. <laughs> to not play. And we didn't play. And we went yeah, to an open we mic down the
0: street and
2: and got yeah nobody I, liked it I, there either. I remember one That's funny one. We did it? Yeah, I remember one uh, place that we went to and uh well, oh we got turned yeah the open mic right. the same same one yeah. we show up with all this equipment and there were three different conversations where someone had. A zinger with the word "shit" in it, and it just had us rolling. So we're we're sitting in the front of this building, and we've got all this equipment, these huge amps, and it's probably way more than what they're accustomed to. Open mic people coming. He comes out here. Uh, I think the owner of the place. He looks around. He's just like, "Oh man, y'all ain't gonna play that heavy shit, are y'all?" Yeah. <laughs> and so we died laughing. Then we go inside, and uh, I had someone lean over uh, while Matt and Devin and all them were playing. He's just like, "Hey." Those songs y'all play, they originals? I was like, yeah, that guy Toby wrote them. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. And then I wish I could remember the third one, but it was just like was one zinger but after People another, in but.
1: Central Florida sound like that a lot. <laughs> they, yeah. they're, 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 not, they're pretty easily impressed a lot of times.
0: We have Juanita Broderick here on the phone with us, and she's on Skype. We can't see her here, but we're glad to have you today. Thank you for joining the show.
4: Oh, thanks for
0: asking. Um, I've been doing a little bit of reading on your story. I've been familiar with who you are and I've heard some of the stuff in the past, but I'd never paid a ton of attention to it, which is kind of crazy. It made me feel really weird reading up on it before this interview because I had to confess that you know, I've just lived most of my life thinking, well, there's all these things and the truth's probably somewhere in the middle and you know, you never know, and I'm sure there's people that tell stories and make up stuff. And, you know, I've been given the benefit of the doubt my, my probably my whole life to people that I maybe shouldn't have been doing it. So I've spent some time lately trying to think of who that is and how these things work. But knowing that we were going to talk to you today is uh, was kind of crazy for me. But I, w- I went back and read <laughs> some about it and figured it out, and I appreciate you being here. And I just wonder... Do you feel like you've spent most of your adult life b- being somebody who p- people didn't give the benefit of the doubt to? Yes,
4: very definitely. You know, it's coming up uh, on, uh, on in April of this year, 40 years since the Gosh. rape. And and it's gotten so much better, of course, in the last two years. But prior to that time, it it was always uh, pretty bad.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so I guess we'll jump in here, and I think we're just gonna have to go through some of the chronology and details to catch everybody up to speed. Because of course you can go read about it, but I just think it'll be kind of powerful to let pe- people hear, and I'm kind of interested to hear. Um, sure. The way that the way that you tell this, but we're talking about Bill Clinton and you in s- 1978. Is that was that right? Yes. in okay. uh,
4: 1978.
2: And how how did you meet him?
4: I was a a nursing home owner. I was a registered nurse, and I owned nursing homes. And when I heard about uh, his campaign for governor, I went with a friend down to a volunteers meeting and got involved in actually going out in the evening time and putting up uh, yard signs and uh, handing out campaign material. And that was approximately... 30 days that I worked in his campaign before I actually met him. And the way that I met him was the office in Little Rock called the campaign office and asked if my nursing home could be included uh, on a tour of Van Buren that he was taking, of Van Buren and Fort, Fort Smith. And we were excited. You know, we thought that was just absolutely awesome. So I told him, yes, we would be happy to have him come by and meet the residents and everything. And uh, that was uh, either late March or early April when that happened. And uh, he and all of his entourage came into my nursing home and went around and spoke to the families and the residents. And then the newspaper asked for uh, a photo of two of my residents and Mr. Clinton and myself. And uh, we went over and took the photos and everything. And then after that, he walked over and introduced himself to me. And was just so, you know, this man was so charismatic. And when he talked to you, it's as if nobody else was around. He never lost lost eye contact the whole time that he's talking to you. And so uh, I began to talk to him. He asked about my nursing home. And nursing homes were struggling at the time. Uh, the reimbursement rate was so low. And so I took that opportunity to tell him, hey, you know, if you become governor, we need help. Uh, we need help bad. And he sort of perked up and he said, if you're ever in Little Rock, he said, let's get together and talk about that. So I told him, yes, I would be down there in about three weeks. So that's that's what happened. Uh and then, do you want me to go through how
2: I? Yeah, yeah. I would say yeah, I would say take it. this story into its... Okay.
1: And, and and let me go ahead and give a plug for your new book too. It's called "You Better Put Some Ice on That" um, yeah. by Juanita Broderick. And we just want to get that out there too. We'll talk about it more as well. But I wanted to say that you've sure. written about this stuff as well. And, and I, I want to plug your, your I want to plug, plug your voice. <laughs> it is
2: awesome. I love your voice. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs>
4: That's, that's really music to my ears for a 75-year-old. <laughs> I used to sing in a band. Oh, I hear
1: you. We're in a band, too. So I'm, Yeah,
4: over no. over probably 30 years. It was just professionals in this area, and one was a doctor, and one was an attorney, and, and we just had a little jazz band, and I was oh, the vocalist, cool. and that was so much fun.
1: Well, that's very cool. Very cool. Um, oh, okay, sorry to interrupt you. So you said he invited you to talk about nursing homes, and you were headed to Little Rock.
4: Right. When we were standing there talking, I told him that I would be in Little Rock, and I would love to talk to him about it. So this, I was so excited. I mean, everybody knew he was going to be governor. Yeah. He was attorney general at the time. And everybody knew that he was going to win this election. And to be able to talk to the man in charge that has control over nursing homes was just awesome. Yeah. So I worked several evenings on drawing up uh, information and graphs showing what we were being reimbursed and what it really took to care for one person. And so uh, my nurse, I was we were going down to a nursing home seminar about three weeks after he was at the nursing home. And we got down to Little Rock, Uh, and checked into the Camelot Hotel on the evening of April the 24th, 1978. And then the next morning when we got up, we called his campaign headquarters. And uh, I told the young lady that answered the phone, I said, this is Mrs. Hickey, and Mr. Clinton told me to call when we were in town. And she said, and this is what's strange. She said, oh, yes, Mrs. Hickey, she said, Mr. Clinton said, if you ever call, to be sure and call his apartment. And I thought that was strange. But anyway, I did. I called and he answered the phone. And I told him, I said, we're down here in Little Rock and we'll have an hour break at lunch and we'd like very much to come over to the uh, campaign headquarters and talk to you. And it was sort of silent for a minute. He said, you know, I'm not going to be there today. He said, "Uh, why don't I just come to your hotel now? And I thought, well, heavenly days. Okay, (laughs) that's great. We won't have to drive over there. So uh, he said, I'll call you when I get to the hotel and we'll meet down in the uh, coffee shop. So I told Norma Rogers, that was my director of nursing, I said, you go on to the meeting. And when I'm through in the coffee shop, I'll be right on to the meeting. And so I waited in the room, and shortly I got a phone call, and it was Bill Clinton. And he said, you know, it's just so crowded down here, and there's even reporters. He said, could we possibly discuss this and have coffee in your room? Now, listen, I didn't think anything about that, letting him come to my room. This was the attorney general of my state, and I wasn't frightened of him I might have been just a little bit uneasy at the thought of a man that I really didn't know being in my room, but I didn't really have any fear.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: So uh, I told him, sure, I'll order coffee, and, uh, and uh, he could come on up. So it was a little while, and right after they brought the coffee, I hear the knock on the door. And when I opened the door, there stands Bill Clinton in a dim-lit hallway with his sunglasses on, and I remember thinking, even though it's been 40 years, I'll never forget thinking how strange that was, to be standing out in the hall in his sunglasses, but I ushered him in, and we walk over to where I have the the coffee on the table, and I begin to pour the coffee, and I pick up my file to uh, start to go over the information, and he just sort of stops me, and he said, Come here and look at this little building down here. So I walk around the table over to where he's standing, and he's pointing to a little a little old building down there that he said was an, an old jailhouse in the eighteen hundreds that he wanted to restore, something like that, when he was became governor. And uh, now I know, you know, it was just a ploy to get me around the table to where he was standing. And as he pointed to the little building, he sort of put his arm around my shoulder, and uh, I sort of backed away from him after that because uh, I just felt real uneasy. Yeah. And then he sort of grabbed me, not hard, but he just grabbed me and pulled me back over to him and started trying to kiss me. And I, I, I to this day, I, I could still feel like, What in the heck is going on? Yeah. And uh, I told him no, you know, and I sort of backed up more from him. And uh, he came at me, and I tried to explain to him, no, I was married. But as everybody knows in, in my telling of my story, it wasn't because of my husband, who I was about to divorce. It was because of a man that I was having an affair with at the time. Uh, That I was very in love with. And I tried to explain that to him, but this man would not take no for an answer and immediately pushed me back onto the bed. And I started screaming. And when I did, he would, got a hold of my top lip with his teeth and started biting. And then I would stop screaming. So... That's the reason for the title of my book. You know, you'd better put some ice on that is because of the injury to my top lip. Mm.
1: This is just so devastating to hear about it. And, yeah. and I like one of the things too, about this, that is, uh, it's, it's not unique, but it's interesting that we're talking about something that happened so long ago. Cause the, the culture was different. Like it, it's, there wasn't a, you know, it, people were not as outspoken as they are. Like in this very day and age, we're living in you know the Me Too movement and with all of that stuff, pe- ladies Certainly. are are way more able to say stuff. Like, were you, uh, what what were your emotions after this happened? What were your emotions? Did you have fear? Like this guy's powerful? Something bad could happen. Like oh I, oh my
4: oh my so heaven, let, Let's
0: let's uh, let, if you would like to skip ahead of the details of the assault, that's that's totally fine. There, that's what we're gonna do, right?
4: Sure. Yeah, and, well, and, and back but, but in that, it's yeah. worth
0: saying though that that from there he continued on the path that that was on, and you were, you know, uh, raped. I suppose. Yes, I was raped, Viol- and it was a violent yes. rape. You would say.
4: Yeah. Oh. Oh my gosh. Okay. Oh my gosh. My we don't have to do any more details torn. on
0: that. I just
3: wanted to be right. clear. Yeah. And my then-
4: clothes were torn, and and uh, after the rape was over, I was sitting up on the side of the bed, and I was crying. I mean, crying. And I could not believe, you know, what had just happened to me. It was just the farthest thing from my mind. I had never even known anyone who had been raped. I was not even that familiar with rape. And I was a registered nurse. Right. Uh, But uh, it, it was just devastating. And this man, this monster, you know, stood up, began to straighten himself. And he looked at me. Like, with this look of of bewilderment and frustration, like, what on earth are you crying about, woman? You know, that was the look that he gave me. And he calmly goes and puts on his suit coat and walks to the door, puts on his sunglasses, and motions to my lip, which is twice the normal size by then, and uh-huh. bleeding, and calmly says you better put some ice on that and walks out the door.
2: Oh my gosh.
4: I mean, you're talking 30, 40 minutes at the very most.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. This, uh, re- real quick, because I'm sure a lot of people are going to type your name into Google and, and all that is this, this picture of you with, uh, two older residents maybe. And Bill Clinton is, is that, is that his That's visit the photo? Is is yes. that the visit before all that happened?
4: Yes, I had three weeks before.
2: Gosh. Right, gotcha, gotcha. So, uh, wh- where do you go from here? Well, oh my well, that's, gosh. Yeah, that's what.
1: I, yeah, a- after that happened, w- what was the fear like? What was your emotions?
4: I just I couldn't believe it. You know, I as soon as I knew that the door had shut, I rush over to it and I lock it because, as I say in my book. I felt like the next thing that was going to happen was somebody was going to come in and get rid of the body. I mean, that's exactly what I felt like a body. And so I laid back down and I tried to collect my thoughts and I thought, I'm just going to lay here and I'm going to get up in a minute. And this isn't, this isn't true. This didn't really happen to me. And I completely forgot about Norma, my nurse so in a little while, I hear a knock on the door, and I look through the peephole, and it's Norma. And I open the door, and when I see her, and I see the look on her face, I mean, I just start crying all over again. It, 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 she couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And she comes in. She immediately goes and gets ice from my mouth. And then she says, what do you want to do? And I said, I just want to go home. I just I just want to get out of here, and so that's what we did. She helped me change my clothes and uh, uh, get dressed, and and we left and came home. And all the way home, I kept saying, and and I couldn't help but say, but blame myself, you know, for allowing him. The mentality in the '70s was men will be men; just deal with it. And I knew that's what I had to do. I just had to deal with it. But also, this man was the attorney general. He was the police. Mm -hmm. He he regulated my nursing home businesses. And even when he became governor, was more powerful over my businesses. So I did what I had to, and I stayed quiet.
1: All right, folks. I know you've heard us talk about texture before, but... We just got to keep doing it because they're so awesome. I mean, seriously, whether you're looking for political reporting, uh, high quality storytelling, or just like the latest about culture or entertainment, magazines really do deliver it all with high quality writing and beautiful photography. And now you can get all your magazines in one place with texture. The Texture app gives you unlimited access to over 200 premium magazines. Texture has leading titles like Time, The Atlantic, The New Yorker, Vanity Fair, and Wired. And right now, you can try Texture for free. Seriously, for free. It's that good. I mean, magazines, for me, are fun. I think they're just a different way to read, to learn, than you know, opening up a book. Uh, I like books as well. But Texture is a really neat way to get information and specific information oftentimes. Like if I'm wanting to look at a sports magazine or a political magazine like Time or or Atlantic or something like that, you can have it all with Texture. So... Just imagine having your favorite magazines and their back issues anytime you want. That's right, their back issues. To start your Texture free trial right now, go to texture.com slash badchristian. If you choose to continue, podcast listeners will get Texture for just $9.99 a month. I dare you to find a better price. (laughs) I mean, seriously, go to the store and try and buy some magazines. Texture's that rad. Go to texture.com bad Christian to start your free trial today. You can try it for free, folks. That's texture.com slash bad Christian. Texture.com slash bad Christian.
0: Now, one of the more chilling things to me, or the, the weirdest, the just the weird I mean, gosh, I mean, I can't even isolate down to what's the weirdest or, or worst sounding element of it, but it's really crazy to me that you recount that Hillary Clinton thanked you for. Can you tell us that part and how how oh, that yeah. is like it, it her, yeah. is, like the notion of her knowing about it is just is too bizarre to to fathom. Oh, listen, I I've,
4: I've always thought. Yeah, I've always thought that she knew. During while I was campaigning, uh I had some very good friends and I had asked them if we could have a volunteer, I mean not a volunteer, but a fundraiser event at their home. It was Dr. Buddy and Betty Criswell. Buddy was my dentist, and Betty and I played tennis together. And I had gone through all the the work of preparing this fundraiser at their home. This was before the rape. And uh, uh, I couldn't tell them what happened. There was absolutely no way. And I told them this was about two or three weeks after the rape, I told him, I said, I've had something come up, and I <clears throat> I can't be there for the fundraiser, but I'll come up and bring the information. I had some sheets and things of who had pledged to donate and, and what they were going to do. And I said, I'm going to bring those to you beforehand, uh, but I'm not going to be able to stay. Well, best laid plans didn't work. I was uh, standing there talking to Betty, giving her the information. I even had some checks that somebody had written to me, and I gave those to her to give to the campaign manager. And then I told her, I said, I'm going to have to leave. Well, about that time, in walks a friend of mine who had driven them from the airport to the Criswell home. And he rushes over to me. His name is Charles Watts. He was a local pharmacist. And he says to me, he says, you're not going to believe this, but the topic of the conversation all the way from the airport." was the Clintons asking me information about you. And man, I just froze. I thought, I have got to get out of here. Well, then about that time behind Chuck, I see Hillary and Bill coming through the kitchen area. And I think, I've got to get to the front door. But before I could, here comes Hillary Clinton. Someone's pointing to me, standing with her. And she comes directly to me, takes a hold of my hand, And But let me preface that just a little bit. As she's walking to me, I think, oh, God, here she comes, this poor woman who's married to that rapist. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what on earth am I going to say to her? And she comes over to me, and she takes a hold of my hand, and she said, it's so nice to meet you. Now, I'm paraphrasing. It's been 40 years. And she says, I just want to tell you, how appreciative Bill and I are for everything that you do in the campaign. And I, as I can remember, I just sort of nodded and let go of her hand and was turning to walk to the door. I mean, I was physically sick at my stomach thinking, I've got to get out of here. Yeah. So uh, I feel somebody grab me from behind, and I thought it was Betty going to tell me goodbye. And I turn around, and it's Hillary Clinton, and she has a firm grip on my arm. And she pulls me down to her, and she says, do you understand everything you do? Mm -hmm. And I could have fainted right there. Mm -hmm. At that moment in time, I felt like she knew. Mm Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea to this day.
2: So you think she was insinuating that your part in all of this is going to be being quiet?
4: Right, exactly. And I jerked my arm from hers and I left. And I've never seen her again.
2: I mean, there's so so much here, obviously, but one thing that I just cannot, I can't stop thinking about is how, how does it feel to you that the general opinion when we reflect on Bill Clinton's presidency is, yeah, he was a pretty kick-ass president. He did a good job. I mean, what? Wh- how does that make you feel?
4: Oh, it's just, it's absolutely disgusting.
2: I mean, for eight years, this guy was your president. <laughs> and so you you're seeing him on TV. You're seeing people clap for him. And you specifically had this happen to you. I just cannot imagine those eight years and even now looking back.
4: Yeah, it, it it was it was devastating. It was, I mean, I developed anxiety attacks. Uh, our our whole lives had to change. We had to, if he was going to be on TV, I mean, we'd grab the remote and change Gosh. it. You know, just anything not to look at him. We even had to change our church services. Uh, we were Episcopalian, and in the regular service, uh, in the Book of Common Prayer. They, say, they, they pray for the government, which is start with the president and the governor and the mayor and go on down. And in the 11 o'clock service, they would say, we pray for the ple- president, Bill Clinton. I couldn't handle that. So mm-hmm. we changed to the 8 o'clock service where I didn't have to hear his name. All they did was say the position. And there's just little things like that.
0: Yeah. Did you decide to stay quiet as a, uh, you know, like, oh, yes. W- tell me about that decision. Like, did you, is it just there's no way you could say anything, or did you think about it and arrive at the conclusion, we better stay quiet? I, well,
4: as the years went by, I kept thinking, you know, maybe one of these days I'll come forward. But I was still in business, you know, while he was governor and everything. And I couldn't. In fact, I even got a letter from him. In 1984, my nursing home won the best nursing home in the state, and he wrote a letter. His office wrote a letter uh, congratulating me on winning this award. And then abro- across the bottom of it, I still have the letter. He scrawled, I admire you very much, Bill. Gosh. And I took that as, I admire you for staying quiet. Yeah. But it's it's been devastating. I, I never... I never would have come forward had I not been outed by the Paula Jones suit. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: Yeah, and that gets complicated, and there's some other stuff I want to talk about, but you basically, the Paula Jones suit was they were investigating Bill Clinton anyway, and then your name got mixed up in that from how? Well, well, there was
4: a man, his name was Philip Mm Yoakam, and he wrote a letter to, I don't know if it was the... Washington Post, or the New York Times, or whatever, but it's a letter that got distributed through all the media, and he was a uh, a past friend, and somehow he had learned about the rape, and he got together with a man named Sheffield Nelson. Well, how could they have learned Sheffield? about Sheffield? Sorry, how could they have learned about the rape? Have I have no idea. I told uh, at. The, the week after the rape, I told six different people. I
2: see.
4: And I'm sure somebody told somebody that told somebody else. Yeah, that's
2: more than enough. Yeah, that, that'll
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he states in this letter that I told him, but I never did. I was never that close to this man to even have that kind of conversation with him. But they wrote this letter saying that I had been raped, but also that I had been bought off by the Clintons. And they felt like this is something that needed to come out. I was, I was just absolutely indignant and irate over somebody saying that I had been bought off by the Clintons to keep quiet. Uh, but anyway, it got out, and then I was named Jane Doe number 5 in the uh, Paula Jones suit. I had two investigative reporters show up at my front door. That's before I had my security gate. And you'll never guess who they were, or you may have heard. Uh, It was Beverly and Rick Lambert, the parents of Miranda Lambert. They had an investigative firm years ago. And they showed up at my front door and recorded me. And I kept telling them, I'm not coming forward. That's just too horrible. And that complete transcript is also in my book, you know, where they recorded me. And so... uh, I got a subpoena to be deposed by the Paula Jones suit. Now, I didn't know Paula Jones at the time, but this made me so angry that somebody could, I mean, I'd been quiet for so many years. I was happy. I was successful. uh, And the thought of somebody pulling me into their lawsuit for their own personal gain made me very upset. And I told my attorney, uh, who was a state senator at the time uh, I will deny this I will deny it all day long you get me out of this so that's what I did
0: mm-hmm. and so then that comes up later looking like you you, well, you had an affidavit saying that bill clinton did not rape me essentially right. which no. discredits your yes. story you know from that point forward right. basically enough for anybody not not, you know not what made me... for anybody but you know what I'm saying
4: Right And it made me so angry while I was sitting there in that deposition, and I could just see the Clinton attorneys smiling, and that turned my stomach. And I told my attorney when I left, I said, "I, I-, I just don't I-, I just don't want into this." And listen, I had seen women destroyed over coming forward with anything about the Clintons. But then, of course, things changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, my son is an attorney. Uh, and he was an attorney in in uh, 1999 and 98. And uh, he called me one day and he said, Mom, uh, we've gotten a, t- a letter from Ken Starr and you're going to be deposed. And I said, oh, my God, what do I do now? And he said, well, I'm coming over to talk to you about it. And so I remember I was sitting in at my kitchen and he said, you've got to tell the truth. And I said, I can't. I ju- I can't get pulled into all that. I just can't. And he said, you just don't have a choice. It's time. He said, Paula Jones's suit was civil. He said, this is federal. You have to tell the truth. So, I took his advice, and I did. Mm-hmm. And my file is still sealed, you know, in Washington now.
0: What does that mean? Your file is sealed. What's in? I mean, what's- well.
4: My my deposition with Ken Starr I see. is still sealed with the impeachment. And they said here lately that there would be some information that would be released to the public, but I couldn't tell in it if any of it, if mine would be.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, at, after, after that point, was there any sort of contact from the Clintons? Oh, no. No, at, no, at that no, point, it's had...
0: all worked out and lawyered up and all that, right? Like, they've got it figured right. out what they're going to do. They know, you know. They're not gonna do right. low level intimidation at that point once it's Right. In. And
4: now and then that's about when the letter came out from uh Philip Yokum and uh I had denied it and then I told the truth that it had happened. And so that's when I went on dateline with Lisa Myers. Mm-hmm.
2: And that was ninety nine what year what year was that? Ninety nine. Gotcha. Gotcha. Gosh.
1: The thing that is, it must be tough. Like the, the, like what we're talking about here too is that something horrible happened to you and then actually you're, it, it isn't just easy just to say that. And, and like I was saying before, we were talking about a way different time in American history. We're talking about a, a power differential there here. That is crazy. An up and coming guy. Like you said, everybody knew he was going to be the governor and he, he was so charismatic and like, why would somebody believe you? You know, you you're just a you're low on the totem pole in a way, right? And so I understand that. And also, after time goes past, it's hard to bring that back up because you know, like now you've experienced it, so many people don't want to believe you still, right? I mean that that's a real problem with uh you know any any rape accusations or anything that happens uh, uh with molestation or anything like it is very hard. We don't have a real like. Did you have any pathway of Telling your story back then, or like the first time was like 1999, you felt most comfortable to even begin to tell your story, really? Well, I never,
4: yeah. If you've watched the Dateline interview, you'll know that was not comfortable. That was, I mean, I cried just about all the way through it. It was so difficult. And even two years ago, when Breitbart did that in-depth interview with Kathleen Willey and Paula Jones and I, and he had me go through, you know, a little bit more details. I cried. I mean, there I was embarrassed. A seventy-three yeah. year old woman crying on national TV. It was terrible.
2: Yeah. Do you ever do you ever think that Bill Clinton is basically like a sociopath and that he really does not believe that he raped you? Like, do you think that he could be that to, no. to that point lost in his head? No, and 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 just for the record, that that wouldn't justify or make it right or anything. But I just that's just I know. Yeah, I
4: know. Th- there's no way he could have left my room that day, uh, and not known that that was against my will, yep. and that it was rape, and it was horrific. There's no way he could have known right. that. I-, I think he knew what he did, but he didn't care. Gosh.
2: Now, yeah. do you do you think? Yeah, I, I, I guess I'm getting into questions that I probably shouldn't even ask. I was going to ask you.
3: Come ahead.
2: Feel free not to answer. Do you <laughs> go go in, ever think? Money. Do you ever think that there are other people surrounding Bill Clinton that similar things have happened, and they just for some reason were bought off, or aren't going to come forward, or, or yeah, do you, Well,
4: I don't, I don't know about being bought off, but I think they're probably frightened. One woman, after my NBC Dateline interview, followed me out of Walmart. And I don't know what she was doing in this area because she said she was from Little Rock. I don't know if she came up here and tried to find me or what. But she's a beautiful woman. She was a, a blonde woman. And she followed me and she called my name out. And I stopped and she came over to me. And she related to me an incident that had happened when she was at some gala. At a Little Rock Hotel where Bill Clinton followed her. She and her husband were friends of the Clintons. Mm. And Bill Clinton followed her into the women's restroom, pushed her up against the wall, had his hands all over her, pushed up her dress, and was trying to rape her there in the women's bathroom. She said he was very drunk or maybe he was on cocaine. Who knows what it was? And she said the only thing that saved her was that another woman walked into the restroom, and he left. And I said, you've got to come forward. She said, my husband would never let me come forward. She said, when I went back and told him what happened, we left immediately.
0: See, I would have always thought the opposite. I mean, I really would have. I feel so stupid about it, but I really would have always said, look— this lady is saying that all this happened but think about it. If you were running for governor, would you be seen at a hotel and then you'd go rape somebody? Like that's not going to destroy your career. Like she's not going to tell people like please. That would be the dumbest thing that anybody could ever do. It ruin their whole career. Surely he can right. get a prostitute if he wants to have sex with somebody. That doesn't add up. Powerful people Know how powerful they are and they have to protect themselves. They're the most guarded people. They don't do stuff like this. That doesn't make sense. That's what I would have said. And that's right. Just like they,
4: yeah. Just like they don't have sex with an intern in the Oval Office.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, really, it was the Bill Cosby. I know Harvey Weinstein's a big thing. Like that's a big watershed moment here. But for me, it's Bill Cosby. Like that's the one where I was like, oh, so if you do hear rumors about stuff, it's that's what that is. I mean, it's like, it, the power enough, is enough there, and you can keep people quiet with simple fear and intimidation. And it works, because that's the fallacy. I thought a powerful person has too much to lose. But really, nobody believes the other person because it sounds like they have something to gain by making the accusation or the allegation or something like that.
4: Oh, exactly. And it was, the t- it was a time, you know, that women weren't believed.
1: Right, right, right because of, and it's hard to say anything because then, like you're right. The power dynamic, well well, two things here. One that's interesting is their their power dynamic. they very much are a political power team. So they do work together in a lot of stuff, you know what I mean? like that their their whole marriage seems almost based on politics. I, I don't know anything about their marriage or whatever. but it, obviously, Juanita, your story isn't the only one, so it's not like this is some rare story where one woman said one thing about Bill Clinton and you know he's the greatest president, whatever. Like, like there's lots of stories corroborating some of the things that happened to you that happened to other women as well. But it is, it is so strange that. Not only was it just him being uh, a a terrible person, but his wife goes, wait a minute, this is our career. This is our governorship, maybe our presidency at that time, you know, looking forward to the future. And so you had to go against all of that. And who are you? You just, oh, oh, you just, Juanita, you think you're so pretty that the governor would like you. Like, that's what people might would have said. I can understand why it would be so hard to say anything.
2: Yeah. I know. Yeah.
4: I know. And, And the only thing to do was just to try to forget it and go on.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now do you think in 2018 let's let's put uh, Juanita Roderick of 1978 let's put her in 2018 do you think culture has has changed enough to where you would have responded differently? Oh yes. Yeah. yeah.
4: If yeah. I was 35 now and that happened uh, my gosh the first thing I'd done was gone to the hospital.
1: Yeah. Mm. Gosh. Wow. Now, I mean that
2: that's I, I want to I mean not that you need this from us but I'm really really sorry that happened and what you just said that's that's something that we can all smile about that progress has been made but like are you typically do you see yourself as like a uh, as an optimist or do you think about your life and just like this guy ruined my life like how how do you look back on your life given that this possibly could, could have defined you? I mean, h- how do you reflect on this when it comes to who you are and what your life was and is and will be? Well,
4: I think it. I, I think people say, they say to me all the time, how did you become such a successful business owner? And I think that I just absolutely to forget threw myself into my businesses. Yeah. And I worked 10, 12, 14 hours a day to try to forget. And uh, it made me stronger. You know, you hate to say that such a horrific incident could make you stronger, but it did.
1: Now,
2: uh, uh, it's either going to destroy you or it's going to make you stronger. And you you chose stronger.
1: What has has Bill Clinton ever said? uh, uh, What I could find, he just doesn't really speak about this at all or won't even comment on it. Has there been any other interactions since? Uh, yes, he apologized to me in 1991. He did? Yes.
4: But, but, I was down at a nursing home meeting with the same two nurses that had worked for me for years. One was Norma Rogers uh, that found me that, that morning. And uh, the other was her sister. And we were down in Little Rock, in North Little Rock, at a, a nursing home seminar. And all of a sudden, some gentleman comes to the door and says... Uh, Juanita Broderick is wanted in the hallway. So I go out, and they follow behind me, and the man points down around the corner. And so I walk down there. It was fearful it was some you know bad news from home or something. Yeah. And as I walk around the corner, there stands Bill Clinton with two men. I don't know, probably Arkansas State policemen. And they're standing back a ways from him, and he comes over to me. And you must realize that that had been, that this was 91. So it was about 13 years since I'd even been in his presence. And he walks over to me and I'm just shocked. And he tries to take my hand and I back away from him. And he starts this profuse apology saying, uh, I'm a changed man. I'm a family man. And I'm so sorry for what happened. And I just stood there and he kept mumbling and, and uh, then he just got quiet and looked at me. And I just looked at him and I said, you go to hell. And I walked off. Yeah. yeah. And when my friends, I was, then I started crying again, like an idiot. But as I walked back to them, they said, what was that all about? And I said, he apologized to me. And so it was time for us to take a break, a lunch break. So we were, I remember us sitting down at a table uh, having our lunch, saying to each other, did he really mean that? What what in the hell was that all about? And they said, well, maybe he's really sorry. And then, like an idiot, I felt bad for telling him to go to hell. Oh, and we God. talked about it on the way home, and it was just on my mind all the time. Why did he do that? You know, yeah. what what. And then two weeks later, he announced he was running for president. I
2: was going to say nineteen ninety-two. Wow, it was, that right was around around a the damage control maybe wow. thing. Wow,
4: and that worried me because I felt like he was keeping tabs on me. He knew yeah. where yeah. I was that morning. Yeah, and so that that and that's that's the the year that I put up a a, a security gate around my house.
0: Yeah, that Wow. makes sense. And then it's, I saw later that uh because this came back up, you know, like this story's been there for a while. The thing was back in 99 and now a whole bunch of more time has passed. And then with the Clinton with Hillary Clinton running, I bet that brought up all new feelings and then with the Me Too movement, so for this, you know, this story and and your story and book and everything has been right. coming back up right. because of these things. I saw here where it said the, for Hillary's campaign, she put out a statement that said and this this makes me feel yeah, absolutely ill. But it said that um, they told the New York Times that there were attempts to draw Hillary Clinton into decades-old allegations through recent fabrications that are un- unsubstantiated, and added that Clinton has spent her whole life standing up for women, and charges oh. to the contrary are grossly unfair and untrue.
4: Oh my God! That's well, just, that's crazy. I had been quiet after the after the uh, Dateline interview and all through. Uh, You know, I kept thinking with each thing that fell with the Clintons that that was going to bring them down. But no, they were bulletproof. So, But then in 2015, Hillary Clinton uh, put out that tweet that said that all victims of sexual abuse should come forward and be believed.
3: Mm
4: -hmm. Uh, And I thought about that. And I thought, my heavenly days. Who on earth are you to make that kind of statement? Well, that's been a lot of so, people have
0: come down that way. Like, you know, I think they got several times when people, like a Hollywood person will make some statement right after that, people say, oh, yeah, well, how about this? How about this? How, you know, it's that it's that hypocrisy that really exactly. draws the ire of everybody and makes them come forward.
4: Well, I called my grandson, and I said, I need to know how to use Twitter. <laughs> so sort of I, I, I tried to fix up a tweet. But it, the little red numbers kept showing up. So on the phone, my 12-year-old grandson walked me through Twitter. So the next morning, I got up, and I, that's when I sent out that tweet that went viral. And I thought, you know, okay, here it is. I've got it just like I it. And I sat there and looked at it for a while, and I thought, well, I'm not saying anything that I haven't said for 20 years, but here goes. I mean, for 40 years almost. And so I punched tweet, and all hell broke loose. I mean, to tell you, my phone started ringing off the wall, Gosh. and my son, uh, who's on Twitter, uh, called me in about 30 minutes, and he said, Mom, what did you do? And I said, I have no idea.
2: <laughs> what, what, were the, what were the phone calls? Media?
4: Oh, media. I had probably 60, 70 voicemails to please answer their call. And one of them was Andrea Mitchell. Andrea Mitchell called and she said, I'd like to know how Hillary threatened you. And I tried to tell her and she wouldn't accept it at all. She wanted me to go to a local TV station for an interview. And I said, no, I can't do that. And she said, well, we'll just do it over the phone. And so she did an interview with me, very antagonistic interview. And uh, then in about five minutes, she called me back and she said, well, we're not going to run the interview. She said, there's nothing new. And so (laughs) that's what happened with that. But of course, Andrea Mitchell then many months later went on the Today Show. And after Mr. Trump had been on the Hannity Show and made the statement rape, in reference to Bill Clinton, and she went on the Today Show the next morning, and uh, said and referred to my story as discredited. Mm-hmm. My son, the attorney, went ballistic. He Gosh. immediately got a letter right off to NBC, threatening us a, a lawsuit if that wasn't removed. And approximately eight days later, uh, discredited was removed from any future earrings of her uh, today comments.
3: Mm-hmm. Wow. Gosh.
0: All right folks, let me get you a new band to listen to that I think you might like. You're listening to Spiral Gaze, the first single of Tooth & Nail's newest signing. The band is called Off-Road Minivan. That's right, Off-Road Minivan. They're a brand new band from New Jersey. And they're also a new project from Tuck O'Leary from the band Fit for a King. So that's why I think you'll like it. You probably already like Fit for a King. And this guy has a new band. They're Tooth & Nail's newest signing. And they typically sign good bands. The name is cool, the song is cool, So you got to admit, it's already growing on you here. Their debut EP is also called Spiral Gaze, and it's available everywhere February 16th, which is out now. So wherever you buy or stream music. So here's what I want you to do. Just go give them a follow on Spotify and on their social media, and just check this band out. It's the best way to do it. Go hear their other songs, give them a follow on Spotify. People appreciate that, and it doesn't cost you anything. You're probably already a Spotify user. You also, if you really like it, Go ahead and pre-order it, or order it, or buy it at ToothandNailRecords.merchnow.com. February 16th, out now, Spiral Gaze EP from Off-Road Minivan. Check it out.
2: You, you must look at the current president and think, eh. He's not a bad guy at all. At all. Exactly.
4: <laughs> yeah, well when I went to the second debate that's exactly what I said. You Gosh. know, uh when uh, he asked us to speak and I said, you know, actions speak louder than words and went on to say that Bill Clinton raped me and Hillary Clinton threatened me and I think the Access Hollywood tapes do not even compare.
0: You don't think you don't oh, feel at all used by Trump in that in that regard like you know, because he's a pretty adept mud- I didn't mud-sling. care. Yeah, you don't care. But you didn't feel... No, I get- no,
4: I, I didn't care. Here was a man that was bringing us to the forefront of the most public forum. I mean, the most, absolutely most public. And it was our time to tell our stories to the millions that had never heard it, had never heard the name Juanita Broderick. And I I didn't really care I was happy to be there and happy to tell what Bill Clinton did to me. Hmm.
2: So, I need to, I just want to say, uh, good job persevering through life and, and just everything you're doing now. As far as like, I just, I, I love your, uh, straightforwardness and I love the fact that you overcame this. I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, I think it's a test. It's pretty remarkable to yeah. be able to, to, to speak to you. So it's, it's been an honor. Yeah, we really oh, do appreciate so- it.
4: That is so kind. Thank you so much. And I get, you know, messages every week, upwards of a hundred, from women and men that have been sexually abused, and and uh, I just try to answer them just as straightforward as I can.
0: So, are you very heartened by the Me Too movement in general? Like you think? I mean, you're very glad for this this specific hashtag and movement. No, no,
4: (laughs) not at all. I think it's a liberal movement. I'm sorry, I don't know what y'all's political affiliation is. <laughs> Non-affiliated. Don't time, worry about it. <laughs>
0: yeah.
4: yeah. No, I think it. I think it just it did what the uh, Hollywood elites wanted it to do. It got them on the front of Time magazine. Uh, but where are all those millions of people who came forward and said Me Too? Mm-hmm. Where are they today? They're just out there dangling in the internet somewhere, and they've had no space to process. What they tell the world, you know, it's I can't see that it's. I think it's been good as far as people coming forward and being believed, but the actual Me Too movement, no, I don't have much respect for that at all. Well, I'm I'm putting uh, the two
0: together, but let, let me see if I can get at that a little bit better. Then you, what about just the in general, leave off the hashtag Me Too, but that the notion that women should be believed. And oh, I mean, yeah. Is that you, you? Think everybody should be coming forward, and that all women should be believed, or um, how? I mean, in, in no, that regard, no. I
4: think it. No, I don't think all women should be believed. Mm-hmm. I think women should be heard, mm-hmm. and given the respect to being heard. But I think they need to go through due process. Mm-hmm. They know, they need to go through knowing that their story will be scrutinized.
0: And so, with your story being scrutinized and the affidavit being withdrawn, and you know all this stuff there, what is your best method of being credible? And what should somebody do if they if they don't? You think everybody should just tell their version of it and just let the chips fall where they may? I mean, because it's so hard to, it's it's, it's kind of easy to discredit people if we're looking to discredit their story.
4: Right. I think if anybody has been sexually assaulted, it's it's going to be hard if you're talking about. 10, 20 years ago. But anybody in this modern day and time that is sexually assaulted, they need to keep as much evidence as they can. They de- they need to tell somebody, somebody that they, that they can depend on. Uh, and they need to tell their story to somebody else other than just keeping it to themselves. Mm-hmm.
1: I think one of the things too, Juanita, that is uh, very impressive about you is a, a lot, I mean, with rape comes a lot of shame and you don't carry that. Like you're actually, uh, I, I mean, I'm sure that you you have experienced that, but you don't come across that way. You, you come yeah. across as a confident business owner has been productive after something terrible happened to you. And I think that's thats really encouraging to a lot of ladies that it might be in your situation right now that this doesn't have to define you, that you can uh, create a business and work hard and, and make, you know, make your own life even when something terrible happens to you. So I think that is very encouraging. I, I, not to diminish your story or diminish that it was hard or right. even there was shame, but I, I do appreciate that you're able to uh, hold your head high right now. Like being able to t- tell us so clearly your story is is uh, re- really awesome for us.
4: Yeah, and you know, when Michelle Goldberg, New York Times, came out with her big article oh many, many months ago, I believe Juanita You could have knocked me over with a feather, you know, (laughs) and all the liberals that that are now interviewing me and saying, you know, I believe you.
0: Yeah, because there's a lot Uh, of those now, right? Like, like, as I'm saying, I know you're politically on the right, it sounds like, but it seems like you've got some good support from some people on the left here. Right. And that
4: includes Jake Tapper, CNN.
0: (laughs) Wow. You know,
4: Jake interviewed me back a couple of years ago, uh, right after the tapes came out. I went on the, his TV program and, uh, he started, started his, uh, interview was saying, I've always believed you. And that was, that was very heartwarming.
1: I'm sure. Well, Juanita, we seriously appreciate you coming on and sharing your story with us. And and I want to tell everybody your book is out. Uh, you'd better put some ice on that. Uh, Juanita story. And, uh, you can go, is there anywhere else they can find you or uh, get that book yeah. on Amazon or tell us anywhere they can find you?
4: Yeah, they can go to my website, Juanita Broderick, and it's B-R-O-A-D-D-R-I-C-K, JuanitaBroderick.com.
1: Great. Excellent. Well, thank you again, Juanita. We really appreciate you coming on the show.
4: Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it.
1: And, and where are you at? In the, you're in the South, right?
4: Yeah, I'm in Van Buren, Arkansas. Oh,
1: okay. Okay. Yeah, we're from South Carolina. So,
4: <laughs> yeah, I may be in your area for a book signing. I'll let oh, okay. You know. Great. Great. Yeah, let us know awesome. for sure.
1: All right. Thank you, Juanita.
4: Hey, thanks for calling. Bye bye.
1: Bye bye. Man, that's just uh, such a uh, provocative, intense story. I mean, I that is know. just like, what, I are feel we, like in the big leagues now. No, well, I'm like, what no, the no, hell are know. we doing? <laughs> well, <I> mean, <laughs> Interviewing she, she,
2: someone who, who, this is the president of the United States. Holy I mean, cow. We'd like to say, Bill
1: Clinton, you can come on and, and defend <laughs> yeah, right. yourself if you want, <laughs> but I, I, doubt, I doubt he's going to be doing that. But, I mean, it is, it's so, like, I, I think when I hear stories like this, this is the most time I feel uh, helpless and weak and, like, just a white male that doesn't know anything. Like that, like I don't. I feel awkward asking questions. I don't know how to approach <laughs> things. Like I'm not. Uh, um, first of all, I'm not good at interviewing. But when you talk about rape or assault, oh, I know, I know. like yeah, that, yeah. I I feel like I just I, I. And it goes to the like her story of nobody ever talked about it. You know what I mean? Like nobody. I, I mean I don't know. Like I know stuff like that was happening, and and obviously has always been happening. And sex and power struggles and rape and molestation has always been happening. But it's something you kind of kept to yourself. And, you know, like, like she said, a name of her books, you put some ice on it and keep on moving. And, like, I mean, that's just, whew, what a, what a crazy story. Yeah. And, well, I, and, and I can't and, believe she's moving. Matt
2: on? nailed it too, as far as, you know, how he typically perceives this sort of stuff. That is the, the general public, is if, if anybody, you know, let's just say they're at a restaurant, you know, eight people hanging out at night or something, and someone brings up, well, I mean, you know, Bill Clinton, he's just disgusting. Well, why would you say that? I mean, he raped a woman. Oh my! Yups. Did you read that on the internet? You can't believe that. I mean, that's how the conversation would go nine times out of ten. Like, rape somebody? Are you serious? And I mean, here we are. We talked to a, a woman. It's, it's. I would find it really hard to imagine someone listening to this interview and being like, "Oh, she's full of shit." I mean, that's. Well, that's, I mean, you never know. I mean,
0: that's those. That's those are possible too. But that's the problem. But the good thing of the progress for making is the place we're at right now of course there are people and times and women who have told and will tell lies that is right. true
2: that Which will she validated. exist i mean she yeah
0: but on the other hand we are going to overall get more things right than wrong now that more people can talk about more stuff so it's a low right. resolution tool here like there's collateral damage with everything and progress and movement and there there's just no other alternative other than to try to give more of the benefit of the doubt to the victims is a place that we've yeah. moved in the last several years and it really accelerated lately. And, I mean, this is that kind of didn't really occur to me until the Mars Hill thing when I saw Mark Driscoll get away with stuff. Like, oh, because right. the victims obviously sound weak, like they're trying to be haters on somebody doing something. And it was just so easy to discredit. And I saw it, and I said, oh. And that's what started to change my thinking. But more and more people are waking up to that. But that doesn't mean everything you hear is true either. Yeah. That's just, that's the unfortunate part. But we're getting closer to getting more things right. So let's say, just look at numbers on it. Let's say 99% of, let's say 95% of people that are claiming sexual assault or rape, stuff like that is true and five are not. Well, all you need to know is what, how many were staying silent to know which would be the better thing. So if, let's say, Half of them were staying silent, basically. Well, the the five percent of people that were lying were still lying. They didn't stay silent because you don't stay silent with a lie. You know what I mean? And so now, right. just the fact that more people are coming forward in total, and maybe it has some counter, you know, productive thing where more people come up with lies too. But it's still much less people lying overall. So the more people feel free to come forward, the more overall things we're going to be getting right. So it's a Directional step of progress, even if it generates some false accusations from sometimes. If we adopt the practice of trying as hard as we can to believe people, we're probably getting more close to the overall truth. And that's
1: kind of where we're at. Well, that was a great interview for like just for me to be able to listen to. Like I don't, I stuff like that. I think maybe changes. You're right. The world's changing, and I think for the better. I do think that. I, I like what she said about. Every woman should be heard. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah. that—that's that, that's she didn't fair. say believed. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's fair though. That—that's a good point. Like you should be heard. You know, you might—I uh, mean, you're right. I mean, no matter what, it, somebody's going to be lying. Somebody's going to be telling the truth. So you got to figure that stuff out. But what a what an interesting interesting story. Gosh, and heartbreaking and crazy. Uh, good lord. So. Yeah,
0: and it, and at it least represents many many others of different people and different things, and not to mention yeah. all the. Right now, we're still scratching the surface because it's just a bunch of people coming forward with the bit, the most famous people. But,
1: you know, right. unimportant people do this shit, too. <laughs> yeah, you're right. All right, I got to get out of here and hug my kids, man. Let's talk All about right. that. Well, well, thank Anything you we got to talk about?
2: Yeah, the BC Club, thebcclub.com. And uh, I'm not going to go into it. I just feel like it's anticlimactic, especially given what we just talked about. I mean, just so I'm going to read some names. And if you want to check out thebcclub.com, feel free to do so. But these guys join. Thank you. Vincent Robert Packer, uh, Packer Jr. Best last name in the world. Luke Haglund, Matthew Tire, Nathan Jewett, Kayla Smart, Ethan Thomas, Anna Cavalli or Cavalli, Cavale, Christian Paulson, Justin D. Cole and Joshua Crane. Peace out.
1: Yo, peace out.